Good morning and good to be with you. If, uh, if you're visiting, glad you're here. Um, if you're one of our regulars, uh, I'm gonna start out today throwing a little bit of a curveball, just doing something that I don't normally do. It's not normally how I begin sermons, but I, uh, I, I want to ask a question, sort of introspective question for some self-reflection that I hope will set uh, the tone and expectations for what we are covering this morning and looking at the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. The, the question is this, what are you living for? What is your life about? Think about that. I know it's hard with a baby crying, and, uh, and I know I technically asked two questions, but this is church, and you're supposed to forgive me. Um, what are you living for? What, what are you spending your life chasing after? And is the thing that you're spending your life chasing after worth spending your life on? Now, think a little bit more broadly. There are almost 8 billion people on earth. It's a lot of people. What do you think most people are spending their lives chasing after? What are most people living for? Are all the things that people are spending their lives on, are they all worth it? Long time ago, a man named John Piper, who's a, a pastor and an author, uh, he preached a, uh, what became a very famous sermon uh, with an illustration that has lodged into the minds of many. And uh, the illustration fits with the text that we're looking at today in the Sermon on the Mount. So let me read you this quote. Um, and this is John Piper's words. He says, I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider this story from the February 1998 Reader's Digest. A couple took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. Picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells. That is a tragedy. The weight of it is lost because no one can deliver like he does. Like he just has an amazing voice if you ever hear him preach. But one of the reasons this illustration is so impactful is, you know, the, the example he used, this couple who um, by like basically every metric of success that you could measure by, by worldly success, like they've made it. They've done it, like they've achieved with their lives the thing that you're told to achieve, the thing that you're supposed to achieve. They've gotten to a point where they can live comfortably and spend their time in leisure, which is essentially the American dream, right? They've got it. The problem is, one day Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead, and each person will give an account to him for for their lives. How did they spend the life that Jesus gave them? How did they use their opportunities? How did they use their time? What were they able to accomplish? Like, what does their life ultimately achieve? And if you're new to faith or you are exploring to faith uh, or exploring faith, um, we're, we're glad you're here and we're glad you're exploring what you need to understand about God and what we 
what we learn about God through his word is that we're not an experiment that he created just to see what would happen. You know, we're, we're not made on a whim. He, he didn't like kind of make us and then turn his attention elsewhere and he doesn't really care what goes on with us. God created us for a purpose. And that purpose makes our lives truly meaningful. It, ma- it makes it so that our lives matter eternally. But if we miss the opportunity God has for us, we end up wasting the life that he's given us. And that's really easy to do. It's so easy to get caught up in, in the lies that you're told about what you're supposed to live for, what you're supposed to do with your life, the goals you're supposed to, to chase, and the things you're supposed to achieve. And you end up missing so much of uh, the, the time and the opportunity that Jesus has for you. This is the plea of, of John Piper's sermon. He says, don't waste your life. That's the plea. He ended up uh, writing a book called Don't Waste Your Life that expands on this. And uh, when I was a new Christian, a little over 10 years ago, I uh, was friends with the pastor that church was at, and I asked him, like, hey, like, I'm just starting out. What, what would be a good book to read? And he told me that one. He said, this book, Don't Waste Your Life. And when he said that, I thought he thought very little of me, that, like, it was a passive-aggressive criticism, like, listen, you're not doing so good. You need to shape up. Um, it wasn't passive-aggressive. It was sincere. And, uh, and I did find the book very helpful. Um, the ability to comfortably retire is not a good goal for your life. It might end up happening, but if that is the goal, you're missing out on the purpose that God has for you. He wants more for you. Your life means more than that. It matters more than that. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 6, starting verse 19. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you spend your life trying to acquire treasures on earth, that's the phrase that Jesus used, treasures on earth, uh, there's, there's no real security in that. Everything here can be lost or stolen or damaged and degraded over time. What Jesus points us to, what you should spend your life aimed at and trying to accumulate is this uh, treasure in heaven, this treasure that can be yours forever, that, that there's no danger of losing this. It's, it's eternally secure. And what's at stake here? Besides whether, like, you end up with a bunch of stuff or, or not a lot of stuff, like, that's not really what he's saying. But, but what's at stake here is much deeper. He says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Whatever you treasure, whatever you value more than anything else, that's what you're going to give your heart to. That's the thing that you are going to choose if it comes down to, I can, I can have this or I can have that, and it's always going to be this. Uh, that's, that's what treasuring something is. And if you, if you pick the treasure, it doesn't always have to be exclusive, you know? Like if you're treasuring God, it doesn't mean that you have to neglect your family or neglect your job or those things, because he, he tells you, he gives you responsibilities in those things. 
but, but what is the thing that you're gonna choose to the exclusion of something else if you had to make a choice? What do you value more than anything else? And your answer to that question is gonna be very similar and very aligned with your answer to the first question. What, what is your life about? What are you spending your life chasing after? The, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. I feel like I've been going to Ecclesiastes a lot recently, but, uh, you know, maybe we'll spend more time in there soon. It's written by Solomon, king of Israel, wisest man who ever lived, uh, apart from Jesus. And Ecclesiastes, it has a phrase that is repeated throughout that y- you need to understand what, what is meant by this phrase to unlock the meaning of the whole book, or the whole thing is going to be like a real mess to you, and you're not going to know really what to make of it. So uh, Ecclesiastes 1 verse 12, I the preacher, Solomon calls himself that in this book, I the preacher have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. It's a very cheerful book. Um, you know what I'll do is, if it ever seems to me like you're all too happy, like you're just too many smiles around here, we're going to do Ecclesiastes next. And we're just going to mellow everyone out. And we'll enter our emo phase as a church, our adolescent emo phase, and then we'll, we'll grow up past that. Um, but listen, to understand Ecclesiastes, here it is. Uh, the perspective Solomon uses as he's looking at the world. He says he's searching out all that is done under heaven. He's seen everything that's done under the sun. What that means is, if everything you see is all there is, it's just life here on this earth. What you see is what you get, and there's nothing over and beyond it. This is all we have. If that's the case, nothing matters. It's vanity. It's emptiness. It's like chasing after the wind. You're not going to get anything. Nothing matters. And that is so much of what we do. You just think about Think about the things that people dedicate their lives to, that they center their whole lives around the pursuit of these things. And you can, all, you can see it. So uh, some people, for some people, that's health, right? They uh, they're, they're so into nutrition and wellness and fitness, and they pour themselves into it all their time, and they invest into it, uh, and, you know, they, they get, they're, they're in fantastic shape, right? Just like me, I'm one of these people. You may not know it, but this is the peak physical form right here. I've done a lot of research on this. Um, but as much as like living a healthy lifestyle is a really good thing to do, even if you do everything right, and like how can you? Because everyone is, who's super into it will tell you opposite things about stuff. Um, but even if you did everything right, you could still suffer a sudden medical tragedy. There could be a physical accident, you could be bit by a tick, you could get a diagnosis. Even if none of those things happen, over time, your body's going to start breaking down. Your health will one day fail you. Other than Enoch and Elijah, 
every human being who's ever been born has also died and will die, including Jesus, all right? If Jesus died, we're all going to die. We're going to experience bodily death. Like, that's going to happen. I'm not saying this to say that, well, therefore, you don't have to care about your health at all. Like, it's not that there's no value in that, but if you make that the one thing that you treasure above everything else, it's something that you could and you will lose. Another thing people uh, dedicate their lives to is their beauty. Some people pour so much time and effort into, and they obsess about, and they get their self-worth from fitting themselves into whatever standard of beauty. But again, you're not going to fit within that standard forever. And some people try, you know. Uh, some celebrities come to mind. It's not just them, but, you know, even with, if, if you look at them over their whole lives, they're not always going to look amazing. There's going to come a point where they, you just can't look like you're in your 20s or your 30s forever. You're going to look like an old person who's trying too hard. Just be old. Everyone does it. It's fine. You're going to lose it. It's not going to stick with you forever. Money. This is a big one. This is the one that Jesus gets after in Matthew 6. If, uh, if, if this is the thing that you spend your life chasing after, accumulating. And let me just say, this is not just a rich person thing to be uh, obsessed with money and to make that sort of the, the goal and the thing that you're centering your life around, accumulating as much as you can. Like, you could be just as obsessed over money when you're poor as, as someone who's rich, right? This, this is a heart thing. It doesn't really depend on your, your circumstances, and when it gets to the point where you, you look at it as the answer, if I just had enough, if I just had some more, then I could finally feel like I have a good life. If money is the answer for what I need in order to have a good life, it's not a good, it's not a good goal to have. And I, I do understand, like, that's easy for someone who has enough to say, and, like, if you don't have enough money, that, that's a huge stress in your life, and, of course, you want to be able to take care of yourself and take care of your family. I understand that. But in that case, money is just a tool, right? It's not the goal itself. And you never know. You never know when the market's going to crash. You never know if there's going to be medical tragedy that wipes out your savings or like scams are getting so advanced with like AI stuff and you can have like uh, an AI generated voice and they pretend it's a kidnapping and like people are losing their money that way. You just don't know. And he, again, even if you succeed, even if you make it to the end of your life with like a dragon's pile of hoarded wealth, you're going to die and you can't take it with you. And Solomon's real funny about that in Ecclesiastes. He's like, you don't know if the people who come after you are going to be idiots and they're just going to like not know what to do with what you left them and then it's just going to be gone. You can't keep it with you. Even, so this is anything on the earth, even something as objectively good as your family. Like if you make your family the thing that you center your life on and you live for and you pr pursue like just having a really great family. And that's a good thing. It's a lot better than the others. 
it's still something you're eventually going to lose. It's not something you can hold on to. You know, if, if, if it's like your relationship with your kids, they're going to they're gonna grow up, they're going to move out, they're going to get married, and that relationship is going to shift and change. Some people handle that better than others. Even if you handle it really well, just, just like we said, like everyone eventually dies and there's someone in your family who's going to be the last one who's left. Time marches on, doesn't care. And after a, a number of years, not even many generations, no one's going to remember you even in your family. Not many people can name their great-grandparents. Even fewer their great-great-grandparents. What Jesus is saying is that it's not wise to give your life to something that isn't going to last. Especially when you're offered something better that will last for eternity. The stuff that Jesus calls the treasure in heaven. Laying up for yourself treasure in heaven. That is, and, and this is what the treasure in heaven is, it's receiving and being restored to the thing we were created for the purpose God created us for. And so Genesis 1, the very beginning, the beginning of everything, the start of creation, on day six we read this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God he created him Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is a creation of human beings and human beings are created special in the image of God, like nothing else in, crea in creation. Right, human beings made to be re reflections of who God is and representatives of him over the rest of creation so that we could be like him to the world. And then the mandate to, uh, to multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, to, to multiply the image of God in the earth. When God created the world, he created it uh, full of raw potential. And the, the work that he gave human beings to do is to subdue it and have dominion over it, to put it into order to bring out the most goodness and the most beauty from it they possibly could. And that's just the way that creation works. Like if you're into like gardening at all, like uh, I like to garden, and so if you have something like a tomato plant, if you just put a tomato seed in the ground and the plant grows up, like, it'll grow up and it'll make tomatoes, but if you don't do some of the cultivating work of putting the supports around it and pruning it, it's not going to be everything that it could be. Like, that's what we're meant to do here, to bring out the most potential from the stuff that God's created. And Adam and Eve, the first ones, as they're doing this and going about this work, they get to walk with God in the garden. They get to enjoy this close relationship with him, which is incredible. Because he's the source of it all. He's, he's the creator. Everything's come from him. He's the source of life. He's the source of light. And as they're out in the rest of creation, they get to be with him, the source of it all. 
Now, Adam and Eve, we know they, they sinned pretty early on. Genesis 3, they, they rejected God by being disobedient to the one command that he'd given them. And, and essentially, in that decision, they chose, I don't want to live in a world where God is in charge. I want to be able to be in charge myself. That decision is a rejection of God as the king. It's a rejection of that close relationship they enjoyed with him. And it's not just them. We've all made that decision. We've all said, I don't want to listen to what God says about this. I want to do what I want to do. They're cut off from God. They're cut off from the source. And that's when all the other good things in creation, it it all falls under a curse. It all is cut off from the way it was designed to be in connection with him and the rest of creation starts to become corrupt, all the good things. And so, you know, our, our lives, the health, the beauty of creation, goodness and friendship starts to become corrupt and there's, there's disease and there's pain and there's suffering and there's injustice and betrayal. This darkness that fills the world because we're cut off from the source of light in the way that we were originally created to be in connection with him, but, but the gospel, the good news of the Bible is that Jesus has come to make things right and to restore us to him. To restore us to a right relationship with God so that we can walk with him again and be close with him again. And he does this by going to the cross, dying in our place, paying the debt for our sins so that we could be forgiven and we could be made new. And there's just, there's so much more in the good news than just that. Like, there's so much more than just being forgiven and, and being uh, saved f- from hell, which is already pretty awesome news. Like, that's a really good thing, but that's not, that's not all that there is. We can't even fully comprehend what it means. We can't envision what it means to be restored to closeness with God like w- was enjoyed by Adam and Eve. Revelation uh, gives us a picture of the end and where God's plan is leading to and what he's going to, uh, to finish, this great work of redemption that he started at the cross. And in Revelation 21, we, we read this, and he who is seated on the throne, this is Jesus, said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Jesus is making all things new. Everything that has been corrupted and broken down and lost and destroyed because of sin for those who are in him, for those who are forgiven and reconciled to God, he's going to make all things new. It's like everything that you love about God's creation, everything that he's made that that you love about the earth and about your life and all these good things, and, and you know the pain of losing them and, and seeing them break down, he's going to restore those things. He's going to make them new and they'll never be broken again. It's all going to be made so much better, so much more beautiful, so much more fulfilling when we are in the presence of the one who's the source of it all. God himself is our treasure who is in heaven. Jesus is our treasure. 
Like the God who created you and who loves you, the Savior who went to the cross for you and paid your debt, even though you've rejected him, even though I've rejected him, he accepts us, he embraces us, he's not going to abandon us. For eternity, you will be with him and enjoy him and everything that he's made for you, everything that he's given to you. That's the treasure that you're offered. And, and again, like this doesn't mean, like treasuring God above all else, that doesn't mean that you just sit alone in your room with your Bible and you're, oh, I'm treasuring God. Like the way that you treasure God and that you love God, he, he has responsibilities that he's given you in your life and in the world to, to love your family, to love your neighbors, to, to work at your job, to serve the people around you. There's so much more in it but it means, ultimately, he is the, the first in your heart, the highest priority. What are you living for? What are you spending your life chasing after? Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Where's your heart? What's the thing that has your heart? Because here's the thing, it's, it's possible to go to church and to do like all the right Christian things. You go to church, you read the Bible, you pray, you have community group, you give, you serve, you do all these great things, and yet you don't really treasure God, you treasure the things that God gives you, the stuff that he's made, and you sort of use God to try and get the stuff that you really treasure. The thing is, if, if that's the, the setup in your heart, if that's the, the way that you've, that, uh, you know, what you treasure is set up in the, in the order that you pursue it, it's going to feel like it works until it stops. When you stop getting the things that you now feel like God owes you because you've done all the right things and you've been a good Christian and, and you're living the right way, so you feel, I... God owes me these things, and now suddenly I'm not getting them. That's when you get into a really dark place. On the other hand, when you treasure God himself, regardless of the circumstances of your life, and even when things get really difficult, you still have the thing that you treasure. Like, you still have him. You still have his promises. You still know that, that he loves you and he's forgiven you and that you have the promise of eternal life in him and the restoration of all things. You don't lose those things no matter what your life looks like. And that makes you incredibly resilient in the face of, of difficult circumstances. You're still connected to your purpose. You still have Jesus. Look at the illustration. Jesus used an illustration to uh, expand on this. Verse 22, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? The eye is the lamp of the body in the sense that it's the thing that we receive light from, right? Our eyes sort of fill up with light, and it's through that information that the rest of our body knows how to navigate through the world and the rest of life. 
And the point of the illustration is similar to the modern phrase we have, like keeping your eyes on the prize, like keeping focused on the goal. Whatever your life is about, whatever you are spending your life chasing after, that is the prize that your eyes are fixed on. And you can choose what you want to fix your eyes on. You can choose to make Jesus your ultimate treasure, that you would value him more than you value anything else in your life. And so it's, it's not my kingdom come, it's Jesus' kingdom come. It's not my plans that I want to be done, it's his plans. It's not my will be done, it's his will be done. And that doesn't mean, again, that you abandon everything else. You abandon your family and your job and all these other things. You, you just go about them in the way that Jesus instructs you to, that's aligned with his will. And you do that because you see how, how good he is, how much he loves you, everything he offers you. You find him worth more than anything else you could give yourself to. And because he's God, because Jesus is God, he's the source, source of all creation, source of all life, source of all light. When your eyes are fixed on him, your whole self is filled up with his light. And so again, no matter the circumstances you may be in, you always have hope. You can have this inner peace. You can have this inner joy of knowing Whatever this looks like, I'm loved, I'm secure, I'm forgiven, I have eternity. But if you fix your eyes not on him, but on some of the things that he's made, anything, like Solomon says, under the sun, here on this earth, if you fix your eyes on any of that, because it's not the source, you're not filled with his light because none of those things are eternally secure and all those things are guaranteed to be lost or threatened for as long as you have them. Instead of the hope and the peace and the joy, you'll be filled with things like anxiety and fear over losing them. You'll be filled with things like greed when, when you have the thing that you want, but it's not enough. It's not enough for you. You need more. It'd fill you with things like envy because, well, he has that thing that I want and I'm more deserving than he is. Why can't I have it? Fill you with things like anger. Anger towards God or towards yourself or towards other people, just throwing blame left and right in fits of anger because you're, you're losing the things that you want. You don't have the things that you want, the things that you feel you deserve the things that you need because you've decided this is the thing that makes my life meaningful. But none of those things can last forever. And it brings you to a dark place. Jesus does not want you to waste your life away missing out on the purpose that God has for you, suffering from more fear and anxiety and other dark thoughts than, than you have to. Here's how Jesus lays it out. He just lays it out. Last, as, as far as we'll go in Matthew 6 today, verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. 
Jesus makes it clear, it gets to a point where you have to make a choice. You're going to choose one thing over the other at some point, and that point is going to be when your pursuit of that thing disagrees with the pursuit of something else. They become exclusive. And so Jesus uses money. Let's talk about money. If money is a thing that you treasure, and, and people do, and they do it for different reasons, maybe because of the sense of security it gives them, uh, maybe because it allows them to live uh, a level of luxury that they want to live, uh, maybe for the status or the power that it gives them, whatever the reason is, that love for money is going to tell you you need to get as much of this as you can. You can neglect other things in your life to get more. This is the thing that gives you purpose. This is the thing that gives you meaning. Um, you, you need to spend your money on yourself. It's yours. You don't have to think about anyone else. That's what that's going to be telling you. And at the same time, God is going to be trying to tell you, well, here's, here's what I say about money. Life is more than money. You shouldn't sacrifice your other responsibilities, uh, love for your family, time with your family, love for your neighbor, so that you can accumulate excess wealth. You pour yourself all into that and start neglecting all the other things around you. You should be generous with your money. Because you're being told two different things, you have to make a choice. Who am I going to listen to? How am I going to live? I love how Jesus frames it as serving a master, because that's exactly what it is. Um, whatever you deeply treasure and value more than anything else, that has a grip on you, where you feel compelled by it. And it, in a very real way, it does control your priorities, it controls how you make decisions, it shapes your life. Everyone is mastered by something. For, for the people who go like, well, I'm not mastered by anything, I'm, I'm a free thinker, I'm always a rational person, um, I'm free of the, the influence of other things on my thoughts and my values and my decision making, I'm sorry, but I don't believe you. Sadly, what many people are mastered by, the thing that they think is, you know, that it's nothing, is their own selfish ambition, their desire to put themselves first and choose their own happiness, regardless of how that might disagree with what God says, regardless of how that may hurt the people around them, regardless even of how that may make their own lives more difficult, you know, an easy example would be in, in a marriage, if one person decides, I'm not happy in this marriage, I deserve my own happiness, I'm going to choose my own happiness, and so they leave to pursue their own happiness. Not thinking about, well, here's what God says about marriage. Marriage is, marriage is, is a symbol and a reflection of my relationship with the church, my commitment to love the church, even in their sin, with forgiveness and with grace and with commitment not thinking about the person that they loved at one point so much they made vows to to say, I'm never going to leave you or abandon you through good times and bad. And how that may hurt them or if there's kids, how that's going to hurt their kids and how that's going to complicate their life. They're just, no, I'm going to choose my own happiness. 
when you're mastered by your own selfishness, what you end up doing is you get to these, these crossroads in your life where at one point you thought, I'm not that kind of person. I would never do that. Here's what my values are. Here's what my convictions are. But you get there. And because you want what you want, you compromise on them. And you become something you thought you'd never be. And you can justify it and you can come up with reasons for it. But you're so mastered by your own selfishness, you can't tell yourself no. What are you mastered by? Are you mastered by the the love for money? The need to be beautiful? The need to be the healthiest person? on earth, the need to have a perfect family? Are you mastered by anything that even if you have them, you can lose them, and you will at some point lose them? And when you notice that you're starting to lose them, it's going to fill you with anxiety and fear and anger and doubt and darkness. Or are you mastered by the one who loves you so much he gave himself for you? Are you spending your life in pursuit of him and the purpose that he's given you? Giving yourself to something eternal, something you can never lose. Jesus says this in John chapter 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus has so much for you. There is so much he wants for you. So many good things that he's planned for you. So many promises that he's moving his plan towards the end where he gets, he he makes all things new. He restores all things. He's worth treasuring above all else. When you give yourself to him, when you pursue him, and you pursue his will in the way that he has planned for your life, and the priorities that he has, it makes those things eternal. If you treasure those things rather than him, you lose them. What are you living for? Maybe today is the first day ever. Maybe it's the first time in a while that you've seriously thought about that. Jim Elliott was a, a missionary who became martyred. And uh, just an incredible story about his life, but there is a, an amazing quote that was found in one of his journals. He said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's probably gonna be the only thing you remember about today, but if it is, that's fine. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You can't keep your life. You can't keep the things in your life. You can give yourself to Jesus and you can gain something you never lose. His love, his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy. It's punctuating everything I just said. (laughs) It means pay attention. I hope that you would see today 
how good Jesus is, how much he loves you. That he's the source of all creation, all of life, all of light. And he is also our redeemer. He loves you, he gives himself for you. I hope that today you would make the decision, you would recommit yourself to the decision to trust him. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also, that you would give your heart to him. And say, Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done, not mine. I want to live for you, I want to live for your purpose. Thank you that you've forgiven me. What's going to happen next is we're going to take communion. And so um, as I uh, pray and close out, uh, we're going to have the music playing and um, some, some people are going to start passing out the communion elements. Communion is something that Christians do. It's, uh, it's a way for us to remember and acknowledge our dependence on Jesus and his sacrifice for us to forgive us and make us whole. And so if you're not a Christian, you can just let it pass by you. If, uh, if you want to become a Christian today, I invite you to take it with us. Um, they're going to pass it out. Just hang on to it. And then once everyone's received it, I'll come back up and uh, lead us through taking it together. Let me pray for us.